Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography in the Apple ecosystem. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. This episode is brought to you by Masters of Photography, online masterclasses with the greatest photographers in the world. We'll have a special offer for you on Masters of Photography courses later in the show. Thanks for joining us again. This is episode number 16. We're glad to be back, and we hope you're glad to be listening to us again. Do stop by at iTunes or your favorite podcast purveyor and leave us a review if you like the show. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell everyone how great the podcast is. So we've said many times that this is not a podcast about gear, yet today we're going to talk about gear. Funny, isn't it? Except we're not going to talk about the specifications of gear this time. Instead, we're going to talk about buying and selling gear. This is something we all do. In fact, you can't really take photos without a camera, so you have to have bought a camera at some point, whether it's your iPhone, whether it's a camera that uses film or a digital camera, you've got to have a camera. But there's the other side of it, which is you've got to have a camera, and then you have another camera, and then another camera, and then you end up like me, where I have a couple of cameras and lots of lenses, a lot of them that are just sitting on the shelf. Now, you seem to go through cameras pretty quickly buying and selling, which is why I'm really excited about this week's topic, because you've done this before. I actually have not bought or sold very many cameras just used, I mean, other than just buying things new. Yeah, I've always done this with my computers. And to me, a camera is just a computer with a lens. So I kind of treat it the same way. It's not like I have a Leica or I have a film camera that, that's going to have a longer life. You know, as a tech journalist, I need to have the latest Macs, just like you and the latest iPhones and iPads. And for a long time, I would sell them every 18 to 24 months, because that's about when you get the most value from them. But also that's about when there's a new model that has enough of a difference to make it worth upgrading. Now, lately, that's changed with computers. There's so little difference between one model and another that I kept my last iMac for over three years. And that's the longest I've had it, my main Mac, my working Mac, since I've been working in this field. Yeah, for me, it tends to be about every three years or so. My last MacBook Pro was the exception. I managed to hang on to that for six years and then just, you know, had other ways of testing things like Bluetooth, stuff like that, that, that had, had accelerated since then. But do you sell them at the end of that period or do you keep them in a closet? I have them in a pile in a closet, <laughs> partially because it's a hassle to do it or Actually, let me be more specific. It seems like a hassle because there are all, all these factors involved. Who's going to buy it? How much do I sell it for? How do I know that the other person is, is going to be you know, reputable? Do I sell it to a company? Like all this stuff. And for me, this becomes a giant cloud of these are a whole bunch of new problems that I need to solve. And I have other things that I need to do. So I end up just putting it off. And then I look over and I'm like, oh, hey, I still have that over there. But remember I said that I, I used to sell it about 18 to 24 months because that's when you get the most value. Back in the early days when I was working as a journalist, I kept them longer. And then after four years or so, they're worth diddly squat. And that's that's what I'm looking at right now. I mean, you know, my old MacBook Pro, I think I can repurpose it enough for my 10-year-old daughter to use in a general way. But I have a Nikon D90. It, it, it was a great camera then, and it's a totally decent camera now. I have no idea what it would sell for, like 100 bucks, 50 bucks. I mean, you know. And it's probably a little bit too big for your daughter's hands if you wanted to hand it down to her. Because uh, when, when my son was living at home, I would hand down computers to him. But, you know, cameras are a different thing. 
you might want to give a small camera to to a child. Let's say you have a point and shoot, but some big ass DSLR, you're not going to pass that on to your kid. Yeah. In fact, I had a Canon G12 that she used for a while, and then the the sensor just burned out or went on the fritz or something. And I still have that here. Is that something I can sell? Probably not. What do I do with it? So, you know, all these questions come up, and here we are to answer them. Go, Kirk. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's talk about buying first, because this is a competitive market. Cameras are not the same price everywhere, though if you buy a photography magazine, and, and some of them, they still have those pages in the back of, you know, long lists of, of models and prices from a dozen different stores. You generally see them about the same price. I think the first thing to figure out is where are you going to buy your gear? Now, when we're talking about gear, this is a camera, this is a lens, this is maybe a filter, like an expensive filter, not just a cheap UV filter, um, a tripod, and, you know, the more expensive stuff. I have to say that my first go-to location is Amazon because they have everything. Their prices are generally competitive. I don't necessarily buy from Amazon, but that's where I go to get my information other than to a manufacturer's website. Yeah, same here. Not just because it's, it's my hometown store, but also because it has a lot of information, a lot of good pricing. Oftentimes, the reviews can be helpful. I mean, you have to take a kind of scattershot approach, understanding that some of the reviews are probably rigged or whatever, but it does help to get a better sense of what questions might come up. Plus, it's easy. Like, like you know that they're going to have it. Well, or if they don't have it, you they're going to say when they're going to have it. And if they do have it, you can get it tomorrow with Amazon Prime. So, you know, it's good, good because sometimes you need gear in a hurry. In our case, we're not pro photographers, but we may be testing something. And, and I find this with computers a lot, maybe writing an article about something. I absolutely need a cable that I don't have. You know, the, the odd chance of a cable that I don't have with, with my boxes of cables, you'd expect them all to be there. <laughs> so Amazon is really practical for that. The next place to go, obviously, is a camera store. Now, if you're lucky enough to live in a city with a camera store, by all means, you can go in and you can pick up the cameras in your hand and you can look through the viewfinders and you can turn the little wheels on the lenses and everything. You can feel what they're like. Not the case for me. And we can't emphasize enough how important that can be because you can read, you can spend hours reading every single review, but unless you have a camera in your hand, you may pick it up and go, oh, this is not right for me at all. Or, oh, this is much heavier than I thought, or the grip is too big. And so being able to go and actually get hands-on without having to order it first and then maybe have to go through the hassle of returning it and all of that is is completely invaluable. Also, if you have a camera store that you can trust, then you know that over time, as you buy more gear and potentially sell gear, which we'll get to later in the second half of the show, you know that you can go back to them because they've been good to you. When I bought my Fuji X-Pro2 in April, the store that I bought the camera from wrote me back like a week later, says, hey, Fuji dropped the price by 20 pounds, so we're going to refund you. Wow. That's a way to keep a customer happy. It wasn't the first time I bought from them, but I really appreciated that sort of thing. Now, they're a store maybe 60 miles from me, and, you know, I bought online, but I appreciate that. And it's good to have a relationship where you bought and sold with a store like that in case you do have problems, in case you get something and you want to return it. Again, if you have a store that you can go to in person and you do buy a lot of gear, then you'll get to know the people and they'll know what you're looking for. And, you know, that's a good way to build up that that sort of familiarity. Of course, we should put out a caveat here. Gear acquisition syndrome is a very serious disease. 
you should make sure that your children are not buying too much gear because this can lead to very <laughs> bad things later in life. You probably don't need that new lens. You probably don't need that new camera unless yours is really old. <laughs> I know what it's like. You know, I st I'm lusting after that Leica M monochrome and maybe I'll buy it one day, but yeah, you know, you just, you don't need all the gear. Learn how to take better pictures. There's also the other aspect of that, um, especially when you mention Amazon and Amazon Prime is once you decide to buy something, then you need it. Because you don't want to order something and then be like, oh, it's going to be here in, you know, 10 to 12 days. I mean, I'm sure you remember the days of ordering something and then it would be, you know, three to five weeks for shipping. And, and so now, you know, we've, we've trained ourselves that, okay, I've decided I want this lens. I know what I'm going to shoot with this lens. Why isn't the lens here? Oh, I ordered it this morning. You know, <laughs> maybe it'll be here tomorrow. I'm going to track UPS and, you know, all, all of that. So, uh, you know, if you really have made that decision and need your stuff right away, then going to a camera store that would have something in stock or getting it from Amazon, uh, that suddenly becomes more valuable than some of the other possibilities. And you might pay a little bit more, but back in the early days when I was using Macs, I always felt that I was happy to pay 10% more to get it from a local place that knew me than to buy it from some mail order, as we called it back then, without that sort of personal touch. And, and over the years, this was when I was, before I was a journalist, I worked as a translator in France. And I would be upgrading my Macs every now and then. And it was good to have this store. They knew what I was doing. They knew what I would be interested in. This is back in the day when, you know, Macs weren't as, the lineup of Macs wasn't as clear as it is now. You know, you had all different types of computers. So it was really helpful. So the next suggestion I'm going to make for buying new gear is go to a manufacturer's website and look to see if they sell refurbished products. As we've mentioned, Jeff and I both use Fujifilm cameras, and Fujifilm, at least here in the UK, has a website where they sell refurbs. I've bought two lenses from them. One of them was about half the new price because it was all it was discounted, then it was on sale again. And the other one was probably about 25 or 30 percent less than the retail price. I've bought refurb Max, my latest MacBook Pro is a refurb. You save 15 or 20 percent, you get the same guarantee. And you know, with something like I might hesitate more about a camera body, but with something like a lens, I have no hesitation. It either works or it doesn't. And I, I would think that most of the refurbished lenses that you buy like that are, there's a return, the box was messed up, so it has to come out of the channel and they have to verify it, and they put it back. One of the lenses I bought is what they call the kit lens for Fuji, the 1855 millimeter, and it was almost half the retail price. But that's the kind of lens they probably get a lot of them back when cameras are returned and they split them out from the cameras they shipped with. So I've been very happy with that. I'm not sure about other manufacturers, but I think it's a good idea to look at refurbished stuff. You can probably save a lot of money. The return windows for those are usually less than if you were to buy something new. But especially with something like a lens, you know, get it shoot a lot with it and you'll be able to find out pretty quickly if there is something wrong and it needs to go back. I mean, unless something has been dropped or, or distorted, it's their reputation behind selling you refurbished gear. So it, it's not just going to be some junk thing that was in the warehouse. And, you know, it, it costs them to send things out in the first place, deal with returns, and they don't want to deal with any of that. So I think at one point, I always thought, well, refurbs are are the the busted stuff, you know, the stuff that that just didn't 
probably didn't work very well and they were just trying to blow it out. But nowadays, you know, there are so many other options. I think refurbs tend to be of higher quality. Yeah, as I said, they're mostly returns that for some reason can't be put back into the channel as is. Maybe they have to be reboxed or cleaned up or whatever. But again, I don't think any company is going to sell a lemon as a refurb. Uh, they offer the same guarantee as for new products. I mean, Apple does that. Fuji does that. So one other thing when you're buying new gear. So I have a friend who has been using a Nikon D5500, I think it is. And he's had this for a few years. He's got a couple lenses and it's like, it's too big. So I'm, hey, Rob, buy Fuji, buy Fuji. Mirrorless, smaller and all that. And he's thinking about doing this. And I said, okay, here's what you need to know about this. Fujifilm, like most camera makers, has twice a year they have special offers on their cameras. Their rebates and cashbacks and discounts. They just launched a discount on lenses last week. So you can save like $100 or $150 on, on lenses. And Fujifilm lenses are fairly expensive compared to some other brands. So if you are going to buy a camera, these discount periods usually start around now, September, because this is setting up for the Christmas market, and around March or April, setting up for summer, because lots of people buy cameras for summer because they're going away on vacation. So if you're planning to change cameras or upgrade, it's a good time to do it. And if you want to get some new lenses, think about waiting. You don't need that macro lens until summer comes around. So maybe wait until May or June to buy it when you can get $100 back. Have you ever done that? You know what? I, I haven't. It's 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 interesting. Again, this is partly why I was looking forward to this episode, because the cameras that I have now, my, my Fuji X-T1, I got from a friend who was no longer using it. And um, my D90, I bought new uh, way back when. And so... I've not really been on that that cycle of looking for the best deals, looking for the best timing. Um, <laughs> it's something that requires some forethought. And clearly, when it comes to buying and selling gear, I don't have that. <laughs> but it is good to know because you know th this is something that comes up. Uh, I think to both of us going back to Mac hardware. You know, people are always asking, like, you know, hey, should I should I buy a new phone? And you know, some people are like. Uh, in you know middle of August, they're like, I think I'm going to buy myself a new iPhone. And you want to say, no, 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 wait, 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 because September is when everything changes. And that's the same for cameras. We're recording this on September 4th. And I think it's in a week's time or maybe even this week that there's the Photo Kina show. I think it's in Germany where all the camera companies announce new models. Oh, yeah. Now, yeah. it was just a week ago that Nikon announced their mirrorless cameras, so I guess they wanted to get out ahead of the other ones. But there will be all sorts of new models announced, which means the older models will be discounted. The new models might not be available immediately, but do you really want to buy, I don't know, the, the, the Fuji X-T2 when you know the Fuji X-T3 is coming out in two weeks and you want to wait and see what's better about it? No. You, you want to you keep your eyes on the schedule. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about buying used stuff, and we'll also talk about selling your own gear. Masters of Photography is a unique online learning platform that brings together some of the world's most acclaimed photographers, the Masters. You can enjoy an unprecedented insight into the way these photographers work during intimate lessons that capture their knowledge, ethos, and philosophy. I've taken the Masters of Photography course with Joel Myrowitz, one of my favorite photographers, and I was impressed by his passion for photography and his desire to transmit his knowledge to others. With more than five hours of video and 34 lessons, Joel Myrowitz discusses technique, inspiration, and his career, 
and give some practical tips about shooting in the street, taking portraits, and even still life photography. I strongly recommend this course with Joel Meyerowitz, and Masters of Photography has a special offer for photoactive listeners. Get 5% off any course with the code photoactive. Go to mastersof.photography and enter the coupon code photoactive or use the link in our show notes. That's mastersof.photography. I really enjoyed this course, and I think you will too. So we talked about buying new, but there's also buying used. And, you know, you mentioned just before the break that you bought your X-T1 from a friend, and that is probably the best way to buy used gear. I have often sold my Macs to people I know, friends or relations, things like that. They know that I take care of them, and I know that they know, and it's it's frictionless. These are people who trust me as someone who works with computers, and I'm sure it's the same with you. So if you have a friend who has a severe case of gear acquisition syndrome, then he'll be buying and selling cameras over and over, and you might take advantage of that to buy one of the ones that he no longer wants. What's also nice is you and I, we're both enthusiast photographers. Our gear tends to be a little better than than normal. And so when we buy a camera, it's not because we need a second body generally. It's because we want something that's better or maybe lighter or uh, what have you. And so quite often the cameras that I have sold to other people have been to friends who are just getting into photography. I had a Nikon D80 that I sold to a friend. I think she still uses it because it does exactly what she needs it to do. So so always keep in mind that, that there is somebody that you know who probably looks up to you as a photographer and they're happy to get something that's better than a point and shoot. They don't need the absolute latest. And so when you're when you are getting the latest, you can help pay for that by selling your old gear to a friend who needs that sort of introduction. Right. Until you get good enough stuff that your friends don't need something that good or don't want to pay that much. And then you need to go a different route. I've sold a couple of cameras to camera stores or used gear dealers. I'm going to mention one of them because I've both bought lenses from them and I recently sold a camera to them, MPB. They're present in both the US and the UK and they, I think they only do used gear. The price that they paid for the camera was fair. The price for the lens I bought was fair. I also sold another camera last year to that camera store where I bought the X-Pro2 that gave me the 20-pound refund. So when you sell to a company like this, you're cutting out a whole lot of friction. So here's a question for you. When you are going through a company like that, I think one of the things that pops up is, are they giving me a fair price? Do you just go and scour a bunch of different options to see what a fair price is? Or because you've worked with them before, you know that they will give you a good deal. Maybe it's not the absolute best deal, but you will have to do less work to get that money, you know, versus like somewhere else may give you 20 pounds more or what have you. What sort of research do you do for, for, for pricing to know that that's going to be a good deal? So you can buy and sell used on Amazon, eBay. Um, there are Facebook groups that are specific to selling computer gear. For instance, I follow a Fujifilm group that where there's people selling Fujifilm stuff specifically to the UK. So people are constantly putting things up. I got this lens, got this camera. The best way to find how much things sell for is to go on eBay, search the item you're looking for, and then somewhere in the bottom near the sidebar, look for completed listings or sold listings or something like that. And you will see the actual price that people are paying. 
Now, here's what you have to consider. When you're selling stuff like this, and I sell stuff on Amazon. I've been slowly selling books and CDs over the years, and I've sold a couple of small lenses. There's a certain amount of friction. You have to list the product. You have to wait for someone to buy it. You don't know when they're going to buy it. And Amazon's quite good about that. The friction is quite limited. You get an order, you ship it out. They pay you two weeks later. There's no hassle. But when you sell on eBay, well, you have to deal with, do you put a, a fixed price with a best offer or do you put an auction? You want to set your starting auction price at the absolute minimum you want to sell it for. Maybe you'll get more than you expected. Maybe you'll get less than you hoped. Then eBay takes 10%. Then there's the PayPal fees. Then there's the shipping. And you, you add all that up and it's a lot of work. So the camera I sold recently is the Fujifilm X100F hands down the best camera I've ever owned. But I sold it because I didn't need two cameras. I kept the X-Pro2 with interchangeable lenses. I could have sold the X100F on eBay probably for 850 pounds. I would have paid 10% of that to eBay, you know, the 3% to PayPal, would have paid for shipping, all the hassle. What if it gets lost? Got to pay for insurance. What if the person contests it and all that? I sold it to MPB for, I don't remember exactly, was 700, and 700 pounds. So in the end, I maybe got 50 pounds less, but I had 50 pounds less headaches. Does that make sense? It does. Plus, it sounds like all those headaches would also be a significant investment in time. I mean, we're both freelancers. We have to think of our time in, in terms of money. Everybody should. And so you also saved just the, the time and the hassle and the shipping and going to the post office and all of that too, right? Yeah. And, and if you're selling to a camera store or a company with a good reputation, they're not going to try and rip you off and say, oh yeah, but this isn't as good as you said. You go to a website, you enter the make and model of what you're selling, you give a condition and they give you an estimate. So in my case, the condition was, I think I called it excellent as opposed to like new because it wasn't very good shape, you know, no, no scratches or anything. And they said, okay, here's, here's the price for excellent, and here's your money for excellent. If I said it was good, you know, with scratches and wear and all that, then it's probably a little more questionable as to how they're going to grade it when they get to it. And, of course, they're going to look inside it. They're going to check the lenses. They're going to check the sensor and all that. They might find something that you haven't noticed. And, you know, at a minimum, you know you're dealing with a company that has a reputation is going to be honest with you, whereas... The, the whole eBay thing and the Facebook groups and Craigslist, these are, there are just so many variables. There are people that want to scam you. Often I'll list something on eBay like that and I'll get these emails. Okay, I'm really interested in that and I want it tomorrow and I'll pay you by PayPal directly. Email me here. Don't ever fall for that scam. These are people, what they do is they send you the money, you send the item, then they make a, a claim to PayPal that they never got the item and you're lost and there's nothing you can do about it. So if you do use eBay, sell through eBay. Don't be tempted to try and cut out eBay's 10%. Now, see, that's the thing that concerns me the most about selling used gear in that way. It seems like there are so many opportunities for people to be scamming, even even Craigslist, which the idea being you can go and you you talk to somebody face to face. I have a friend who actually like prefers doing Craigslist because with lenses, like like you want to have something to see. But, you know, this is not somebody that I know, and it could be somebody who their check bounces or, you know, there are ways to protect yourself against this. And we'll put some links in the show notes for some general uh, advice. But 
it just seems, I don't know, it, it gives me anxiety thinking about, oh, man, am I going to have to deal with someone who is now accusing me of fraud because they're scamming me? Yeah. So a few years ago, I sold my Olympus OMD EM10. Now, here on eBay, you can list something that can be sold internationally. eBay handles the customs and the shipping. You ship it to eBay's depot here, and they handle shipping it to wherever in the world. And someone in the U.S. bought this camera. They paid the extra shipping in the customs, and it was fine. And then they complained. They didn't like the camera. There was wear on the top of the camera. And I was like, dude, look at the photos. You can see it in the photos. But then, but then, hold on, hold on. The camera rattles. Well, if you ever buy an Olympus camera, they rattle. That's the image stabilization. It's just the thing with, with Olympus cameras are like that. So they filed a complaint, and, well, I had to... Spend a lot of time with eBay to get them to understand, and they ruled in my favor, and I got my money. But it was a hassle. It was really a hassle. So I, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'll sell to friends. I'll sell simple things on Amazon or eBay, like a lens or, or you know, a, a, an expensive filter, not like a UV filter. But other than that, I'm not going to bother anymore. As I said earlier, the camera store where you've bought stuff, that's a good place to go. Back in April when I bought the X-Pro2, I had sold my Olympus Pen F to the same store and it was like, you know, you buy it and you and you sell it and, you know, they, they, they trade off. You get a relationship with a camera store, whether it's a local online or someplace you have to drive to. If you do plan to have a severe case of gear acquisition syndrome, then you can feed this buying and selling. Now, it, it may sound a little bit ridiculous to be buying and selling as much as I am, because it does sound like I do this a lot. And I did go through Olympus stuff and then I moved to Fuji and I don't plan to change for a while. But if you think that you want to try out a camera, back to my friend Rob, I said, why don't you rent an X-T2 and try it out? And he found out it's like $150 a weekend. If you buy an X-T2 and you keep it for six months and you don't like it, it's going to cost you maybe a few hundred dollars for the difference in what you've bought versus what you can sell it for. And, you know, it's not a weekend, it's a few months. And, and maybe you're the kind of person who wants to explore some different camera systems and some different gear and keep it for a year and move on to something else. And there's nothing wrong with that. And when you think about how much it costs at the end of the period, as long as you keep things in good condition, it's really not that expensive over time. Yeah. See, no one ever plans for gear acquisition syndrome. It just happens. Um, it, this also brings up another point. If you are buying your cameras and throwing away your boxes, don't do that. Like, like keep all the original packaging, not only because it makes it easy to pack everything up, but people will get fidgety when you don't have the exact things that were in the box or, or you have to specify that you don't have the lens cleaning cloth and what have you. It's not the cloth. It's the actual box. I'm sure that if you were to analyze on eBay, a lens in the original box sells for more than the lens without the original box. I'm positive. I keep boxes for everything like that. All my Macs, all my Apple stuff, because I do resell this stuff regularly. And it's not only the best way to package it because the packaging is designed for it, but it does make it seem more official. It, it makes doesn't make it look like you ripped it off someone in Starbucks. And I think that's the thing. This whole buying and selling topic, you want that feeling of security. You want that guarantee that 
what you're going to get is going to be good. It's not going to occupy too much of your time. And when you're selling something, you're, you are reassuring somebody that this is the thing that is in the condition that I'm saying that it's in. One final tip, and, and I don't do this, but you may live in an area where there's a camera club or a photo club and the people get together. That would be another great way to buy and sell stuff because there's certainly... There's that guy with the severe case of gear acquisition syndrome, and he's always buying new stuff. And, you know, these are people you might see once a month or once every few weeks if you go there. I, I know that back in the day, the days of Mac user groups, I would sometimes buy and sell Mac hardware, not computers, but other things in places like that. So that's a good way to find people who buy and sell camera gear. Absolutely. There's a local company here that every once in a while has these uh, photo swap meets. Bring stuff and haggle and what have you. Okay, let's move on to our snapshots. Jeff, what have you got this week? I recently received a press release about an upcoming photo workshop that's happening. Came out of the blue. I get lots of press releases. But it's a woman named Tamaya Colvin. And when I went to go check out her site, I saw that she has all sorts of education and she puts on conferences and she's a photographer. But she also has this magazine, many of the episodes of which are free. It's called Toffee and Honey. What's interesting is she's a person of color and all of the photographers are uh, women and people of color. And the idea is to make sure that there is more representation in photography than just, you know, a lot of middle-aged white guys, because there are a lot of middle-aged white guys in digital photography. The topics are great. There's like one about fatherhood. There's a motherhood. There's um, high school. She does a lot of like high school portraits, street photography. But all of the photographers are from underrepresented groups. It, it's also really well put together, and it, it's a great read. And Kirk, how about you? I thought I heard some straining over there. Yes, I have a book this week. It's actually two books. It's two volumes. It is Joel Myrowitz's Taking My Time. These are two very large, very heavy books of his photography from the 1960s until just about the present. I think this was published in 2012. It's quite expensive. So here's what I'm going to suggest. Instead of buying that new lens, buy this book. You will learn more from this book about photography than you will learn from a new lens. Joel Meyerowitz started as a commercial photographer. He did color photography back when color photography wasn't cool, at least for photography, art photography, in quotes. He did street photography. Then he got one of these big view cameras and went up to Cape Cod and the area around there and shot these extraordinary color photos that really revolutionized photography at the time. Because, again, art photography was black and white. He went to Europe. He went all over the place. And, and these two volumes cover all of his work, all these different phases of his work. He did a wonderful thing after 9-11. He went down to the World Trade Center and pushed his way in. And when they said no press allowed, he said, I'm a photographer. Someone has to take these pictures. And he spent months there and released a book of photos. And then he moved to Tuscany, and he's been taking photos there, and he's been doing still lives. I mean, it's, it's a fascinating career because most photographers, they have a style, and they stick with it for their entire career, whereas Marowitz has, has changed his style so many times. I believe this is about 600 pages. At Amazon, it's currently $540. I bought it from the publisher, Faden Press, when it was 30% off last year. Now, this is a limited edition. There's 1,500 copies. It comes with a signed print. So, you know, a signed print by Joel Morowitz is actually kind of cool. 
you can probably find it a little bit cheaper in some places, but you will learn more about photography from a book like this than from that lens that would cost the same amount. And is this covering his whole body of work, did you say, or is it just a specific time period? It's his entire body of work from the very first photos, and it really has the first photos that he shot. And up until uh, it was published in 2012, so up until just, you know, around 2010 or so. And, and it's really fascinating because as you leaf through it, it's changing styles and each chapter is a different, it's like almost a different photographer in many ways, but it keeps that same character of his work. There are also some interesting captions to some of the photos by Meyerowitz himself, where he remembers when he was shooting a certain photo, what happened. And there's just one quote. There's a picture that he has. It's very famous. We'll put it in the show notes. It's a woman walks into a pond on crutches, and then she throws the crutches up in the air and she's healed. And in the caption for this, he says, carrying a camera is like having a free pass to the unexpected. That's lovely. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in the show, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or in Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review on iTunes or in your podcast app. Don't forget that you can get 5% off any course at Masters of Photography with the coupon code PHOTOACTIVE. That's PHOTOACTIVE in one word. Go to mastersof.photography or use the link in our show notes. Until next week, thanks again for listening.